Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Empire Rolls podcast. My name is Paul Mann and I will be talking about a one-all draw against Stoke City this weekend. Last minute drama. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good result, bad result, but it probably means that Clement will survive at least another week. This time, this week, I'm good start there. This time I'm joined by George Flood. Uh, hi, George. Hi, nice. Thanks for having me. That's good. That's good. It'll be uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. And uh, as much as you can talking about Redden Football Club at the moment anyway, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's a bit of a painful procedure. Also, I'm with uh, mostly Bobbins, uh, Neil. Good evening. Hello, viewers. Uh, yeah, well, we, we could just if you're watching this on the video at some point, he's just a little bit low. So we <laughs> I did kind of point this out to him. But, you know, if you're listening, that what means the nothing to Right then. So. We were talking before, all three of us met before the match on uh, Saturday, and we looked at the lineup, and yet again, the Clement kind of random mode was enabled, and you're not quite sure what's going to hit you. When you look up on your Twitter feed, as most of us do now, to get the team news, you're wondering what is going to be the surprise name. What did you think, George, when you saw the team for the first time on Saturday? Uh, yeah. I agree with what you said. There. It's kind of a touch of trepidation, isn't it? You think, right, we've had a decent performance on the Tuesday. You know, we didn't get the, we didn't get any points, but you know, there was a lot of positivity around. You think, let's keep it, you know, as much the same as possible. And then, like I said, you open your, you open your Twitter or whatever on the Saturday, and there's oh, two or three big surprises in there. I think you can't really blame Clement this time, though. To be honest, I mean, there's only so much he can do if more reports injured Kelly's illness. I think he said he learned on the Saturday. O'Shea seems to have. <laughs> injured himself sitting on the bench at Leeds or warming up or, or something like that. So, yeah, there was a little bit of trepidation. I mean, when you see Blackett as the centre-back in a four, uh, that's always going to be, you know, slightly concerning. Uh, obviously, Mate was dealing with an ankle problem, wasn't he? So that was a bit of a surprise, but not really in that sense as well. Um, but, yeah, I'd say trepidation as much as anything. I think it was a 4-4-2 on the Twitter account, which I think was never going to be the case as well. Uh, I think they had some people wondering what sort of system they'd be playing and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit concerned. I was still concerned by that left-hand side as well, Swift on the team sheet. Uh, I think he was quite lucky to start again. Um, but yeah, surprised and a bit of trepidation. But like I said, I don't think you can really blame Clement that much this time. No, no, I think you're right. There were mitigating factors definitely for this one with the injuries. But, I mean, with the players who actually came in, how do you think they did, uh, Neil? It was a mixed bag, really, wasn't it? I mean, Ilori looked back to his kind of shaky self at times, um, whether that's partially because Blackett was next to him and, and not more, I'm not sure. Um, but I think with Blackett in a back four, as George says, that, that always has proved a little bit of a... Um, dodgy area uh although i think i think blackett had a, had, a, had a pretty decent game there i don't think he was really that noticeable as um being a newcomer there uh he didn't look as if he was going to have many of the shaky moments that he, he had before um as george has, i think swift was was lucky to start again but i think obviously with kelly's absence i, I suppose it, the, the hand was forced a little bit the front three looked looked lightweight, um, and I think 
I think the way we tried to play was to, was to try to kind of be compact but get out wide when we could, but it almost didn't work to a point because we were putting crosses in that were going nowhere, really. Um, but ironically, that's how we scored. Um, so it's kind of mixed to how, we, how it looked it was going to turn out. Possibly if we didn't have those injuries, we would have played better in the first half. I'm, I'm not sure whether we could have improved on that. Um, but yeah, all in all, I don't think we could expect too much more. No, not really. I think McNulty, obviously he got the goal in the first half. Um, I'm not sure really what else he really did that that was that impressive that when Mete is back to full fitness that you're going to say he's going to be starting ahead of Mete. But would you have McNulty ahead of Loder at the moment? I, I personally thought Loder looked okay, had some nice touches, probably not as effective as he was against Leeds United. He didn't seem to get in that kind of gap in between the midfield and defence quite as much. But it, when you look at him as an 18-year-old, he didn't stand out to me as an 18-year-old player playing in only a second start. What did you think of uh, McNulty, George? Did you think he was... I think he, he ran really well. He ran hard. Uh, showed quite good anticipation positioning for that header as well to get himself uh, sort of in behind. Um, I could, the thing that I did like about McNulty, I must say, I have been a little bit critical of his impact so far, but I did think that there was quite... Quite often in the first half, anyway, which was sort of quite in line with where I sit, was that he was often looking to play off the shoulder of the of one of the centre backs, and he was trying to make those little runs in behind the centre backs. I mean, they, I think they tried it to him a couple of times, but the ball never really got through. Um, and a lot of the other times, they uh, they sort of ignored him or or didn't even try to put the ball through. But I mean, if he can have success with some of those runs, I think in a lot of games, we are crying out for someone to try and get in behind like that, to try and get in behind a defence. Um, so that was one aspect of his game that I thought maybe could come to fruition somewhere down the line. Um, but yeah, apart, apart from that, it was apart from the goal, it, you know, it wasn't a huge amount else. But um, yeah, I think Loder, I think Loder showed some nice touches again when he gets it. You do think he can make a difference. I think Renato playing so well um, kind of kind of skews it a little bit. So you kind of yeah. expectation level goes up a little bit for these sort of academy players. Uh, I remember one chance, I think in the first half, Loder had the ball in quite a decent position uh, yeah. and he looked like he needed to shoot earlier or, yeah. or sort of give it to Gunter on the overlap. And he kind of did it a little bit and kind of sort of, oh, he wasn't quite sure what to do. And then he shot shot well wide but uh but as you said the other day i think he's definitely worth uh, persevering with yeah definitely i mean you come on to rinomoto he's just seems to be getting better and better with every single game now i mean uh, in the second half when we needed to get that goal obviously stoke um we come back to those stoke goals we just about rinomoto for a second he was the one moment when he played mate through in the last couple of moments and you think that's the kind of pass a lot of our midfielders can't play and he seems to be <sighs> I mean, he almost seems to be leading the team up the pitch now, which is quite amazing for a player who's only played so few games. You could say that reflects on the rest of the team, maybe. But it's kind of, it's lovely to see a plan come through from kind of our academy. I know that we signed him, but we need that kind of link and something for the fans to get behind. And he's that kind of player. I think Danny Lode is slightly, as you say, he's, maybe suffering because he's doing so well, but he's kind of living also off the fact that Rinomoto's done so well from the academy. So he's getting a little bit more time. I mean, 
if we look at John Swift, what what did you think of John Swift uh, Neil? I mean, first half I thought he was okay. Yeah, yeah. he just disappeared completely. The first half, um, he was getting a <clears throat> excuse me, he was getting a lot of time on the ball. Um, Stoke didn't seem to be too keen on closing him down. Um, whether that was bad management or they just thought he wasn't going to be that much of a threat, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but. Um, as I was saying to the guy next to me, he won't get that room in the second half. Um, I think large because Stoke weren't weren't at their best at all, and they weren't really closing us down too heavily. Um, but he, he he filtered out the game as he he tends to do recently. He also the the lack of pace and the lack of physicality in Swift really diminishes our attacking ability and that's where Renamoto shines because he's got both of those things that Swift has and he may not have the the kind of the the, the look of a pass that that Swift can give us but I don't know there's something totally missing from Swift that we used to see that we don't see before whether it's the inju- injuries that are caught up with him I'm not sure um but you always thought that Swift was going to be replaced at some point because he, he just didn't didn't featured. He didn't, wasn't producing anything worthwhile for us, um, and I, I think he, he was only playing because we had no other option. I think I think Milo was on the bench, and obviously, he's not going to give you anything offensively. Yeah, I think. Sorry to interject, but yeah, I think that's the main point. I mean, as he wasn't playing on the left, he was kind of playing a bit deeper on sort of the left hand yeah. side of the field. Had he been literally lining up out wide, there's no doubt I think he would have been replaced. But in terms of it's sort of filling in that role in that sort of sort of Christmas tree formation that it looked like they were playing. Um, you know, like you said, Myler is the only other option at the moment. And obviously that's not a good option. I mean, when Eze Talahi's fit, if they're going to play that system, got, and then when obviously Kelly comes back in, you've got to think that there's no way Swift's going to be starting unless he's yeah. starting to improve. Um, I think he was shooting a lot quite early. Um, and I yeah. thought, you know, maybe, maybe he has, you know, come into this with a bit more energy and a bit more... But then there was there was a corner that he just gave away a short pass at a corner and it and it, and then he tried to commit the sliding challenge and it was just it was just dreadful because he was too slow and then from then it kind of just yeah it just kind of went downhill from there really didn't it it just integrated didn't it completely Stoke up their game I mean in the if we go to the first half of the match Stoke kind of everything was coming down his side. <laughs> I felt that it was, I mean, I feel sorry for the fullback that's kind of behind him because <laughs> they were switching around throughout the game, Yadam and Gunter. But when you're getting very little protection from the person in front of you, it makes your job just almost impossible because you're always two on one. So <laughs> as much as it's easy to criticise Chris Gunter during those, uh, during that first half, I kind of, it was not all his, all his fault at all. I just kind of, the chances that they had, Stoke really could have put the game to bed in the first 20 minutes or so. They had the Afobi header across the goal when I'm not quite sure how he managed to miss the target. I mean, there's a player who's not in form. They had the other one when he kind of is almost one-on-one with uh, Jacola for a few moments and then he hits it straight at him. I think Klukas and then hits it over the bar. And then there was another one for Tom Ince from the edge of a box. So on another day, we could have easily been out of that game, out of sight very early. But luckily, we had a little bit of um, luck on our side, essentially. But I don't know. I don't know. Is it one person who's definitely coming uh, into uh, the team and not in question now is Jacola. He's someone who's just 
I don't know how, from, from last season's performances, he's almost a different goalkeeper. So that is a big key that Clemens managed to improve him or the goalkeeping staff, whoever that is, Dave Besson. But it's good to see someone improving. I mean, I'm not sure what happens at half times. I mean, we scored the goal just before half time. And what happens there, I do not know. We've now conceded nine goals in that gap between the 46 and the 60th minute. And how does that happen? I mean, what do you think, George? Is it some kind of energy drink they need? I don't know what they need. It's just they need something to wake them up. I mean, it's just, I'm kind of at a loss to explain it now. It happens once or twice, three times even. You think, you know, okay, you know, we need to sort this out a little bit. But like I said, nine goals is just crazy. I mean, I think they asked Clement about it again on Saturday and he kind of just was exasperated again and kind of just said, uh, you know, I'm not asking them to come out and play crap. I think he said, I'm not asking them to yeah. play crap. Yeah. Right after the... I think it's, it's just got to be concentration, hasn't it? It's got to be... I mean, that goal was just... It was just an absolute catastrophe. I mean, you had, I think, the Laurie and, and the year them running into each other. I thought the communication between those two was, was off mm. um, for quite a lot of that game. Um, yeah. It was just, I think Blackett maybe could have done slightly better uh, positionally because um, Afobi just kind of sneaked between the gap, didn't he, between the two centre-backs. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, if Clement doesn't know how to explain it, I don't really either, to be honest with you. It's just they have to, they just have to switch on. You have to, you say this, you know, I play Sunday League. They say it's at Sunday League, you know, five, ten minutes, second half, especially if you've got a one nil lead like that, just make sure, you know, you're, you're you're strong and there's yeah I mean if they don't sort it out then that combined with some of these mistakes they keep making it's it's difficult to see how they're ever going to pull away from trouble really no no I, I yeah if you keep on doing that there's just a crazy amount of goals I think we conceded 23 goals in the second half and just 10 in the first half so it's absolutely blindingly obvious where the issues lie I mean I I just look at them and maybe it becomes almost a psychological factor now that is the biggest issue because they just know the opposition i'd be astonished if the opposition managers that we're playing against aren't saying you've got to get at reading in the first few minutes after half time because they are vulnerable and we you can almost see us sitting back because we don't want to repeat the same thing but we kind of managed to still switch off which is quite incredible <laughs> well one thing i would say that was a hell of a first time pass from Klukas to play uh, a phobie through. That was a great pass, but you'd hope that Blackett would be a little bit more awake to that. But we know that is why he doesn't, he's not great in a back four because he can switch off. Ideally, you're playing in a three at the back, but I can't, I can't see us playing that at the moment. We haven't got the players. But yeah, we go through to the second half and then Tom Ince scores an absolute wonder goal, which involved players switching off as you said there uh, George and I just think just again I mean what were they doing running into each other uh, I've just no no idea what was going on there it's just yeah. panic really wasn't it, it the, they, they conceded a goal and rather than defending properly and doing their own individual jobs they think they've got to cover everything and they end up running into each other and leaving themselves exposed. And, you know, as soon as the ball gets to the byline, you kind of think, well, everyone's out of position now. And then Ince is free, and you kind of think, well, the ball's going to come to him. It's, it's probably going to be on target, this. 
and then before you know it, it's an absolutely you know, awesome strike. And you just think, you know, if, if there's any way we can cause a calamity, we absolutely will. But Yadam just kind of switches off for a split second to allow that cross in. That was there. It wasn't a, a really horrific error. Obviously, running into your teammate isn't great, but um, kind of then that little kind of switching off is it is a brilliant finish. But and the moaning about the ball being out of play, the ball is nowhere near out of play. So, but I mean, that was one of the things that the referee got right on Saturday. So oh, it was. I mean, I don't really yeah, like moaning about referees because I kind of try to stay away from that. You know, the referees at our level aren't yeah. aren't the best, but I don't think I'd seen such a variable referee as this one. You'd see identical challenges or identical incidents. One would be a free kick and the other one wouldn't. And you think, how could you justify your decisions? They, they were just nonsensical at times. I couldn't work it out. No, I couldn't. There was one incident in the first half when the ball went out for a corner for Stoke. It must have been over the line by about a yard. And he just would not give the corner. But, I mean, that's great for us. But he was just pretty poor. Pretty mm. poor. So... Thankfully, we managed to get the equaliser in the last moments. I think most of us had uh, given up completely and uh, thought we'd seen this group for the millionth time in the last year. Mo Barra pops up with his last second goal. Um, I think it was quite a nice goal, but against the tired team, we had a few chances before. Mo Barra, I mean... Is he a player that you'd be wanting to see start at the moment? What do you think, George? Do you think we should throw him into action? Or, I mean, would you have a head of Swift? I mean, I was actually, it kind of, uh, I thought that goal, obviously, is an important goal. I think it sort of saved what was quite a poor cameo otherwise. Mm. Um, there was that one shot that he, that it was quite a good chance that he, I think it went out for a throw eventually. Um, there were a couple of runs that didn't really come to anything and then it sort of went out of play. Um, but yeah, fair play to him. It was, it was a fantastic finish. Um, he sort of benefited from having Mate out there, who I thought was a was a massive influence um, yeah. Yeah. for us after he came on. Really provided a, a great focal point. We um, think there were about five Stoke players sort of surrounding him yeah. during that goal, which led to the space for Barrow to score. Um, I don't know if they're going if they want to get some width back into it. Then I would I would probably chuck Barrow back in um, if he's going to play a sort of similar system to what he's playing now, then I think I'd probably rather have McCleary. Um, and I'd, maybe you could bring him in for Loder and maybe see if Loder can have more of a more of an impact from the bench. But uh, yeah, I think it depends really what Clement wants to do uh, sort of system-wise, really. Yeah, no, I agree on Yako Maito, as you were saying there, George, that that 15 minutes, however long he was on, on the pitch, he really looked like he stepped up as a player. If you compare that how he would come on before, he's just the way, I mean, he had a chance that he almost set up for Bulldog. I think Bulldog maybe should have done a little bit better there when he played the ball across the six-yard box. But his hold-up play, strength, and like you say, for the goal, was just, well, exemplary. And to find the player as well. He looks like he's just moved on many levels in the last few months in confidence and ability, team play. And that's really great to see because hopefully he'll be back in a team against Sheffield United. You would hope if he's able to play for that long, he'd be a back and fit because, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure what you do with McNulty. I mean, he scored a goal. Do you drop him or Loder? Which one do you go for? What, what would you say now? I'm not quite sure. Uh Personally, and not for 
too many reasons other than that I didn't really fancy McNulty that much. I'd, I'd put Loader back in uh, for that game. Um, McNulty, as George was saying, he was getting in decent positions off the shoulders of defenders, but I wasn't too impressed with his overall play. Um, I think Loader gives you a little bit more pace, um, and I think alongside... Mate, I think they could kind of forge something. Um, I didn't see it an awful lot in McNulty for me that I liked, but maybe that's and I, just because I don't like that kind of play. I'm not sure. But um, apart from the goal, I didn't see too much. But obviously, Loder didn't score either. So if you're talking on goal scoring, then I guess McNulty would stay. Um, but I just prefer Loder, I think. Yeah, I would personally stick with uh, Loader for that one, but that's harsh on McNulty, isn't it? You score a goal. It and is. It, it is very harsh. Um, I, it just do comes think? down to personal preference, I think. I yeah, mean, his, lack, his lack of pace, if you can call it that, um, it does it for me, I think. Maybe. What would you do, George? Loader or McNulty? I think I would probably say McNulty, um, just because I think you can do a little bit more with Loader, maybe shape-wise, maybe drag him out wide a little bit. You could have him maybe just operating just behind if you wanted to. Whether is I think you're a bit more limited with sort of McNulty. He's got to be, he's got to be uh, sort of on that last sort of centre-back shoulder, like we said. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say McNulty. I think. Yeah, I guess the possibly... with that is that we're we're thinking then that we have to play with a genuine two up front, which Clement doesn't seem to want to do lately. Yeah, yeah. So no. we'd have to change system again to accommodate the two of those, because like we've seen with Baldock out wide, he features but he doesn't contribute an awful awful lot. So we're either shoehorning a system that we've not really tried too much, or we're we're playing them out of position. So. I'm not sure where Clement would fall on that. No, well, it's impossible to predict Clement and his uh, tactics, lineups. Anyone who can do that is an absolute genius. I don't think even he knows sometimes. He he hasn't been very lucky, but talking about uh, the chaos of uh, making decisions, uh, the defence. Now, what is your preferred back four, assuming that we're playing a back four, because it seems to be what we're playing a lot this season. Um, we've seen Blackett, we've seen Ilori, we've seen Moore, we saw McShane very briefly, but we haven't seen him for a long time. Any confirmed sightings of him would be appreciated. We've seen Yadam. I mean, have, have I missed people out? We've obviously seen Liam Moore. Um, I don't know. I, I was the same, my preferred back four. A left back is the problem. You'd probably, I'd say, have Blackett there at the moment, a left back. Then you'd have. Ilori, which you're never quite sure which player's going to play it turn up because you saw the Leeds game. Then you see the performance against Stoke, which was completely erratic passing. Then I'd have Liam Moore and right back Yadam. Do you think that would be the one you'd probably all go for? Yeah. I think yeah. it's hard, hard to argue against anything else, really, unless you're playing uh, three centre-halves in, in a five. Um, and then it would, you know, it would change again. But if you're talking back four... I'd... I can't see an argument for anything else to be our, our number one back four, really. No, I. Right. No, I was just going to say. Obviously, you'd hope you'd hope that Abita might be in a position to come back at some stage this season. At which point, you'd you'd hope that he'd take that left back slot again and sort of make that his own. But uh, but yeah, I think I agree. I don't think 
I don't think you can really make a case for starting O'Shea. I mean, he's, he's not bad in the air. Um, but I think the, the thing he was supposed to do was bring a measure of sort of calm and experience to that back four. But I'm, I'm not convinced he really did that. Um, his passing, I thought, was very erratic a lot of the time as well and sort of invited a little bit of pressure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, Elori is just so frustrating because I'm convinced that there's a really good centre-back there, particularly at this level. Um, but it just sort of sums up, these last two games sort of sums up his time at the club, really, I guess. Just so inconsistent between games. Um, he could be so casual at times. Um, but yeah, yeah. But no, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I think that's the one that should go forward. And thankfully, now we seem to have found a goalkeeper that we can stick with. So maybe that's one position. I mean, if you go, through, I'm not going to go through the whole team, but I'd say there's about five or six players in the team that you can say they're in the team. But that's not a great position. But defensively, we need to pick a back four, three, five, seven, whatever it is. And we need to Seven. With it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, believe me, if we get someone decent in the FA Cup tonight in the draw, we will definitely not be going out and attacking because we could get absolutely uh, mullered <laughs> by someone in the Premier League. And they will even have to be a good team because we are so wide. I mean, if you just put a Premier League striker uh, with those chances that Stoke had on Saturday, and it could easily be 3-4-0 by half-time. It <laughs> just... Yeah, it would be a painful viewing. So earlier today, moving on to a slightly different topic, we had uh, John Medeski on Radio Berkshire and he was talking about uh, a multitude of uh, different topics. Uh, something that definitely came up was our previous uh, CEO, Ron Gourlay. Now, I don't think it'd be putting words into Sir John's mouth to say that he's not a big fan. Um, just if you listen to what he was saying, a fracture, Carla, is a feeling of upbeatness in the club now. And uh, it's lovely to, um, uh, everyone's smiling now. And you think, wow, that's really a man who has affected the whole ethos of Reading Football Club. Little snippets of information saying how he had a, an office, Ron Gourlay, at the training ground. And how Paul Clement can now get on with managing without uh, Ron Gourlay there. And you think the stuff going on that we just have no idea of. What did you take out of it, George? Yeah, um, I, it was sort of some of the stuff was kind of uh, what we've all heard in little whispers about maybe the staff not being, you know, too content and there being a bit of a bit of a bad feeling around the place. Uh, but yeah, sort of interspersed with those snippets of things we didn't know about on sort of the micromanaging and. And things like that. I get the feeling that uh, Sir John kind of, uh, after his sort of criticism, it was kind of framed in a much more harsh way by Andrew Peach. And I think at that point he kind of sort of wanted to backtrack a little bit, whether he thought he, he may I have. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously he's he's uh, extremely well connected, as you can imagine. Still, um, I thought some of the stuff he said was more his own interpretation of what was going on. Because um, obviously he said, you know, he couldn't answer questions on transfers and stuff because he's just not privy to a lot of that information anymore. Um, but yeah, the Gourlay stuff was certainly uh, certainly the most interesting. I mean, it's 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 encouraging and it's certainly encouraging that it sounds like it's brightened up already um, now that he's gone. But it's just how we can translate that positivity sort of short term onto the pitch, I guess. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. You heard it as well, Neil. I mean, uh, he was talking about all kinds of aspects, wasn't he, Sir John? He was. Um, he clearly decided that he wanted to come on and uh, have his say on this topic. And uh, yeah. he's a man who doesn't hold. He doesn't need to hold back on his thoughts in a way. And yeah. like you said, George, he did kind of slightly when Andrew uh, Peach was trying to frame it, very extreme way, as a journalist would do. You know, that's the job. There was nothing there that he didn't say, so that's fine. But he was saying, oh, I don't want to make this personal. So he kind of felt a little bit bad about it. But, you know, it's just lovely little, little other bits of snippets about how Mr. Dye, the, uh, well, the, one of the owners of the uh, football club, doesn't speak English. So it all goes through translators. Uh, but he's a football, I think he's a football nut or something. Yeah. So, so you're sort of kind of, and um, how his sister, the other co-owner, who was at the game on Saturday, does speak English, and she seems to be taking far more of an interest. I think those are positive things. How positive and how it's really affecting it, we don't really know, but we just have to trust, don't we? I mean, anything that you took from it, uh, Neil, that you haven't covered there? Um, I, I I think what Sir John was also trying to do was to... Um alleviate some of the fears that we've got that the owners you know don't care about us and, and that don't care about the future of the club um he was trying to obviously demonstrate that they are football people or certainly um the brother of uh, of the two uh, certainly is he's a football nut as you were saying um they do have very deep pockets they are investing they have their own ways of doing things and I think overall he trusts them. Um, I don't know whether he trusts more than the, the people who he sold to, um, but I certainly got the impression that we were picking on the right person for our um, or our ire, and the owners aren't necessarily the ones that we should be angry at. Um, and certainly, as as you were saying, that Andrew was framing it in a certain way, but I don't think he was framing it in too much of a different manner than John was actually saying in the first place. Maybe John was being a little bit too open for his own good, perhaps. But, um, you know, as you say, when, when when things like the CEO has an office at the training ground, you kind of think, well, he's watching everything that's going on, whether that's right or wrong. Um, and I don't think any CEO should be having team influence in any way. That totally seems out of order, really. Um, so it does seem from the outside looking in that he had his fingers in every single pie um, involved in our RFC and none of it was any good he was too much of an interferer uh, upsetting people who have obviously long since left um, how much that affected team affairs and god forbid actually team selection god knows but um, it certainly sounds like John was very happy that he'd gone just like uh, most of us were yeah I mean uh, we'll kind of go on what we see on the press and you hear little uh, rumours, but obviously he's, uh, I, I would hope, I would assume a former owner of the club for 20 years uh, and who uh, actually still lives partly, I think, at the stadium is slightly more well-informed than us. I would hope so, anyway. <laughs> if he's not... He seemed to deny an awful lot at the same time, though, didn't he? So, he didn't have his uh, finger on the, the pulse as much as he did before. No, of course, fact. he's not involved. Um, there were certain elements that you kind of thought, well, you certainly know... And I'm saying more than we ever will, and, and rightly so. Um, obviously, certain questions were coming in about 
you know, why can't we tear up a contract of a player who isn't no, 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 let's not go there. Please. I mean, it's just <laughs> desperate, really. But how those, those calls got to where, uh, frankly, who knows? That's a different thing there, Neil. Let's not go there. They, they, that's, that's Radio Berkshire special, isn't it, <laughs> really? Uh, no. Right. Yeah, no. I just think he was he was quite keen, obviously, as well, to reiterate um, if anyone had concern about sort of what money they had or what money they were putting in. I think he was very keen to stress um, how much money it really does take just to operate a club, at, at, even at this level. Um, and deep so, pockets, deep pockets. Indeed, yeah. He should. I mean, he should know that better than anyone else. And it's probably ten times more difficult now than it was even when when he was there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think in general, I think obviously we had that first uh, statement from from uh, the owners last week. I mean, that's kind of people were clamouring for it. But then some people were sort of complaining that uh, that they hadn't really said anything. But there was there was never going to be anything more than that, really. I think I think it is reassuring to know that that they are taking a day to day interest. Um, and obviously, uh, Nigel Howe being back in that position on a temporary basis. If there's anyone, you know, if there's a group of people that, that have the club's best interest at heart, then, then he certainly is one of them. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that, that's, that's certainly a positive. Um, but this, this next appointment, CEO-wise, is so enormous um, for both the club and for their sort of reputation as owners. If they, if they get this one wrong, then, uh, then it doesn't really bear thinking about, to be honest. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that would be catastrophic. I mean, uh, realistically, I'm not expecting any appointments on that until February at the earliest because they're going to take their time with it, and so they should. They've got someone, like you say, who can look after it, knows the club enough. Um, Obviously, uh, Nigel Hull's been involved with the Roland Parks uh, predominantly for the last year, two years probably, really. But he's going to be okay and we'll get someone else in who were who that is i have no idea at all it could be absolutely anyone i mean you can uh transfer rumors are bad enough but coo rumors no that is definitely not what i'm getting involved with because i have no idea on that at all so back onto the pitch because i think um that's enough business talk, isn't it, really? We're kind of... Uh, I'm going to have a quick look at the next four matches in the month coming up because we've got Sheffield United coming up away on... No, sorry, at home on Saturday on uh, Sky. Excitement of live TV. Yeah, whoopee. Yeah. And uh, Rotherham away. Then we got Middlesbrough at home. Then Millwall. And then QPR away. So those last two matches there, we've got three key matches in that period. We've got Rotherham, we've got Millwall, and we've got QPR all away. Those are the games you really think that we're going to have to pick up points in if we're going to be able to stay up this season. Those aren't kind of must-not-lose matches, especially the Rotherham, Middlesbrough, Millwall ones. You feel those are the ones we're going to have to win. I mean, what are we thinking about the next one coming up, Sheffield United at home? I mean... I fear the worst again in that game because they've got some strikers and they've got Billy Sharp with 10 goals. And that is... Players love scoring against Reading when they've played for us before. But also, he just scores goals in the championship. I mean, yeah. I'm worried about that run of games. I really am. And at what point do you say in that games, when do we get rid of Paul Clement or keep him? I mean, he's constantly on that tipping point. 
I find it amazing, George. I mean, how is he still here? <laughs> it's quite incredible. Yeah, there seems to be this general perception that he's only ever one bad result away from, from getting the push. But whether that's just sort of wishful thinking on a lot of people's parts, whether that's actually embedded in sort of reality, I don't know. Um, I think I think on that point, I, I think a point that's been underplayed is is what Gianluca Nani thinks about Clement. I think Nani's gone in there and he's obviously worked very closely with, with Clement since he's come in. Um, they were obviously talking a lot before games and stuff like that. So I think it really depends on what his perception has been during that time. Um, I think if he's been relatively impressed with Clement's thoughts or you know ideas or when they've been talking and stuff like that, then I think he might be safer than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean... Again, Saturday just felt like one of those games that doesn't move the needle either way. It doesn't get us any closer to safety. It doesn't really uh, push us any closer to any kind of change that's gonna that's gonna make an impact. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I agree with this run of fixtures feels feels uh, incredibly important. I've done a bit of a tally uh, to see. Ah. Homework. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm you know. A little bit pessimistic at times, just by nature. I mean, but I've tried to be positive-ish with this, um, I, and I can only get to five, I think, out of these games up to QPR. To be honest, wow. and that's that's banking on us winning. I can't see us winning both of those Rotherham and Millwall games. As nice as that yeah. would be, I can see us hopefully winning one of those. Although I think people will be looking at at that Rotherham game if they're looking at that as an easy game, and they clearly have looked at any of their home performances this season. I think they're extremely difficult to beat uh, at their place. Um, maybe you'd you'd hope they could nick a point out of these next two home games. Um, but yeah, QPR I think will be tough. It's always been tough for us recently, and we will seem to uh, to struggle there. Um, but yeah, five maybe. I mean, and then you're on what you're on twenty three going into the new year, and that's still that's still terrible, isn't it? So it's yeah, that's not it. But I think it's perfectly realistic i mean we're running it at just under a point a game so a kind of five point from five we're actually getting slightly ahead of ourselves it's kind of that depressing he did <laughs> say uh, he was being optimistic so yeah yeah he was, it he was out. slightly optimistic but it's crazy isn't it five points from five games but that's where we are and we've been here for well three of the last four seasons so it's not nothing really new um, what do you think, Neil, from those games? Do you think are you going to be go for a massive six points? Maybe you're going to go a little uh, crazy. <laughs> you put the poll up on the website, and um, yeah. I selected the, the four to six points option because it just seemed to be the most realistic thing that we could get. We might win one of them, but I can't see us getting too many points elsewhere. Um, if we manage to beat Sheffield United, then I think I'll surprise everyone, to be honest. Yeah. Um, if we can avoid defeat away from home at least twice, that would be a beautiful thing. Um, I'm picking up a win somewhere. I mean, the hardest game almost seems to be the home game, um, almost by definition of where Sheffield United are. But um, just showing a bit more solidity away from home, getting a couple of clean sheets if we can do. Um, but yeah, I can't see any more than five or six at all, really. Um Hopefully we're surprised, but given who who we'll have available, uh, I don't think we've got too many players coming back yet. Um, but Varson's too far away. But you know, Baldock and Mate are coming back in. 
But midfield's not going to change that much. Kelly will obviously come back in when his sickness is over. Will Myler feature again? And maybe he's only there because no one else could be. Uh, he doesn't seem to be in favour at all. So, has anyone seen it's... Dave Edwards? <laughs> <laughs> I think I do, I, I, again, for the he thing of just bringing guess. him up every week now, because just so everyone remembers that Dave Edwards exists. Leave, leave my fellow Welshman alone. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, he is there because I saw him in a picture yeah. at the kind of um, Christmas uh, do they were having for the players. Yeah. That word do, where did that come from? Xmas party. <laughs> but um, yeah, they were dressed up as jockeys. Yeah. Neil wasn't sure that Liam Moore was in it, were you? You were a little bit short and sure about that. I didn't who it was. You didn't quite recognise like anyone. That's our captain. That's our superhero, Neil. You should recognise him. <laughs> no, it's uh, the Sheffield United match. Is obviously, I think, if we could, oh, I mean, I, well, really, I'm not even believing this when I'm saying this, but if we could manage to get a win, that would transform. You would think the rest of the month. That would be such a massive thing. But I mean. In my heart of hearts, I really just can't see it happening. I want it to happen, but yeah. I think realistically for that game, only a late winner for us is probably the only way we're going to win it. Because if we score early, we know what happens. So um, hopefully it'll just be a tight, tight game and we can just nick it. Yeah, we need to do something with that goal at half time. <laughs> just like fill it up. Just something. I worry about the sort of nature of a wounded Sheffield United team as well. Obviously, they played quite a tense derby against Leeds at the weekend. Um, it was only settled by what was a, a terrible mistake by their uh, goalkeeper. Um, he strikes me, Chris Wilder's a fantastic manager at this level, strikes me as a manager who knows how to get a response out of his players. Um, I was having a quick look. I've obviously seen a little bit of them when they've on, been on TV, Sheffield United. A quick look at their form and stuff. They've only won one of the last five, which surprised me a little bit. Um, they're sort of one of a cluster of teams on the same amount of points, sort of between sort of fourth and seventh or fourth and eighth or whatever it is. But they have, their away form is good. I think they're fourth in the away table. Middlesbrough are third, which... Uh, yes, I know. I looked at something and I thought, this is not filling me with joy <laughs> at all. But no. have, have conceded goals against struggling teams. I think I saw that Rotherham and Brentford recently both scored at least twi- uh, sorry, scored twice against them at home. Um, I think Wigan, uh, a couple of other teams as well, Hull maybe as well. So they, they do... They have conceded a lot of goals to teams in our sort of predicament, which which bodes well. I mean, scoring's not been obviously not been our problem recently, but it's just whether whether we think we can make the necessary improvements at the other end to uh, to keep them out. And Saturday uh, <coughs> would perhaps suggest not, but uh, but I think they 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 can be got at. I don't think it's it's uh, a case of us not being able to to break them down. I think what I can see at the moment is. Is, it wouldn't be surprised me if we came out on the wrong side of sort of a three-two, uh, sort of quite a high-scoring, a high-scoring defeat, really. But uh, yeah, hope they'll be proved wrong. But yeah, no, I, that's what I can see. I mean, there's a, there's a run of games when we're scoring quite a few goals at home. Now we've had two two consecutive matches. Now haven't we? We had the one on Saturday and one against Ipswich. But yeah, I mean, I, I look at it and I think. Are we really going to be held to hold them out? If Sheffield United score that first goal, that's going to be key. I mean, we have come back in a couple of games, but I don't know how many times we can keep doing that. I don't have the faith in our team to keep performing under that much pressure and the team to sit back enough. But, I mean, I hope they do. I mean, 
I also looked up, and the last time we beat Sheffield United at home was in 2007. De La Cruz scored that game. He had 3-1 when Keith Gillespie got sent off, and I don't think he actually touched the ball. I'm not quite sure. Seven seconds, wasn't it? Yeah, seven seconds or so. We beat them in the FA Cup, didn't we? Um, like, yes, last league one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was, that was where we signed uh, Nick Blackman. Like, yeah, <laughs> one game. That's it. Um, but yeah, it's weird, Sheffield United. It felt like we couldn't lose to them for about six or seven years during yeah. the Warnock era. But then the last few years, they just had our number completely. I, I remember last both the games last year that... Um, the away game was where Beeren scored a bit of a consolation late, wasn't it? In a two-one, mm. the home game was one of those really depressing games during that terrible end of the Stam mm. era. Where, away, didn't they? Yeah, it was freezing. Billy Sharp scored twice, um, Bakuna, but we still had a chance. But Bakuna missed the missed the penalty, I think. Yes. Uh, but yeah, um, I'd, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's kind of hope, isn't it? It is. You go into these games now against top teams and it's just sapping, isn't it? Because you don't really believe you're going to get anything out of it. Because even before the game on Saturday against Stoke, I kind of, once you saw the lineup, I thought, I take a draw right now. To have that in the last moment was great, but I'm worried about Sheffield United. This concerns me because if we do take a beating from someone at home, it kind of is going to crush any small amount of confidence that the team has picked up because we're, we're on a, I mean, it's a tiny run. Was it four games without losing at home? I mean, it's not long, but considering before that, I think we'd lost six consecutive matches in the league at home. So, yeah, you're going to predict. In the strings as well. Uh, Sorry, is that? Ollie Norwood pulling the strings. Oh, Ollie Norwood, yes, yes. Oh, no. I, oh, I can all. Oh, yeah, I can almost see what's going to happen there, George. You're giving me so much joy that I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> goal for him the other day, I saw as well. I think Redden have struggled a little bit against those kind of midfielders at times this season as well, which worries me. I thought Ryan Woods was was excellent for Stoke on Saturday, uh, yeah. picking the ball up and recycling. Yeah, very, yeah I thought um, uh, Joe Allen was, was, was good as well. They've got some good players in that Stoke team. I mean, I've, they can just sort out their defence. They're going to be, they could be top six still. There's not that much of a gap. You can see the quality difference in the in the players. It was it was pretty big, wasn't it? If they'd have pushed on, I mean, the thing that really helped us was the fact that they had played for ten men. I think for almost an hour was it on the Tuesday night against Derby. So yeah, but we'll take the point. We'll take that because we'll take anything. If we're all predicting five points from five games, it's kind of that's how desperate we are. <laughs> so yeah, so hopefully. By this time next week, we'll be talking about a glorious win. We'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, it's hope more than reality. But thanks a lot for listening. And uh, we will be back uh, next week. Cheers. <laughs>